The other day I saw a post regarding Vanessa Guillen, a young U.S. Army soldier murdered on base in Fort Hood in April of this year. I've seen many posts about Vanessa and my heart breaks every single time. You see, my firstborn, my only daughter, is just shy of 20 years old, like Vanessa. This post was different. It read, you can show up for Vanessa Guillen without being anti-Black, in bold Black print, over and over and over again across the page. It hit me. Not only does the disconnect between white people and people of color perpetuate this deeply ingrained and insidious structure of racism, but there's also a degree of antagonism that exists even within our communities of color, each with our own seemingly unrelated causes. So much so that someone had to give us this gentle reminder. You can hold space for Black people and support justice for all people. I have so many questions. It seems counterintuitive that people of color would be in conflict with each other when we have so many layers of oppression that are significantly destructive to our communities. But this is not the first I've heard about the divide of black and brown. Today, I talked to one of my closest friends, Becca a lovely Mexican and Filipina biracial woman. And we explore where some of this disconnect is rooted and her personal observation of her black husband and black children's experience in America. I feel like we're having a sleepover. We're having a sleepover as well. Welcome, lady. I'm so happy that you're here and doing this with me. I'm happy to be here with you. I feel like as we have been going deeper and deeper and pulling more and more articles on this, I've gotten more and more freaking excited about talking to you on the topic of brown and black people and understanding some of the racism that exists even between communities of color. Tell me a little bit about who you are. What are you, Becca? After reading these articles, I just like, I'm <laughs> learning so much. Like, wow, I've always considered myself, you know, Mexican, Latina, even Hispanic, but I'm like, oh, that's not even correct. I'm learning so much just digging into these articles. So tell me what were some of your experiences growing up brown and then also how that related to your relationships with the black community and, and what your black experience was. Growing up here um, and being in a very diverse area, the different cultures were just always around us. You know, when I, when I dated a black guy, I never really considered how other people in my culture would feel about it. Me personally, in my household, in my home, it was never really an issue discussed. It wasn't necessarily a topic of discussion of, oh, let's sit at the dinner table and let's talk about the guy, the black guy you brought home. Becca's you dating know? a black guy. Everyone yes. gives feedback. <laughs> yes. No, it wasn't like that. Not in, not in my house, not under my roof. But looking back at my friends, I do recall actually a lot of the dads 
that, you know, we had friends, we had at summer school, we would come home and go swim at the pool and, and we would have the group of guys hanging out with us. And I remember, you know, some of our friends, they were not allowed. It was not allowed, or it was an issue to hang out with the, with the black guys at school. And having these experiences with maybe other members, like friends, Latina friends or Latino friends, and maybe experiencing this with fathers or parents. Did you feel like it was the same on the other side if, if one of your friends had brought home a white boy versus a black kid? No, it was specifically dating because some of them would date outside their race and it wasn't always black boys. Uh, but, but specifically with black boys, I will say that that was a problem. If they brought home a Mexican or a white, it, it was not the same issue. Were there any other experiences that highlighted racism for you? They would make comments to me of calling me certain names or saying like, oh, she only dates black guys or calling me a horrible word where I look back on it and it was, we were so passive about it then. You're starting to date, starting to make these connections and because of a relationship with a young black man, suddenly you, it sounds like you got boxed in to this category of, uh, of, you know, girls or teenage girls that only date black boys. And I feel like that's a very common implication of racism that happens really early on. There's a stigma on that. And it's crazy. These comments were kind of made on the low. You know, it wasn't something that it was you expressed or like, you know, that it wasn't, it didn't come off as such like a, a hate thing or they like pointed at you. Yeah. It was kind of passive aggressive. Yes, it was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a future episode, we'll definitely talk more. I think interracial dating is like this, this category in it of itself. Was there any other piece that came up for you in your early years in terms of being Mexican, being Brown and feeling a distinct difference in the way people treated or approached Black people? After Aaliyah was born. So that's Mm -hmm. way later. It had to be 2012 when I went to Montana. We did not get assisted in a Burger King because my husband is Black. Tell me about that experience. So we were driving to Montana. We stopped in a little city in Idaho in the middle of nowhere. We were hungry. It was a Burger King in a gas station. And um, it was kind of like by a salmon creek in Idaho. Um, And we stopped at the Burger King. Darnell went in and I had my shoes. I'm like, let me put on my shoes. I'll meet you in there. There was nobody in there. I, he had been in there for at least maybe, you know, three to five minutes before I went in. I closed the car, got my shoes on, went in, and they still weren't helping him. And he was just sitting there with his, you know, leaning on the pole with his arms crossed, just waiting. And there was nobody there. Nobody was, you know, they weren't doing anything. There was a young boy, young white girl and boy, and they were acting busy, like messing with bags, rearranging bags, and we're waiting maybe at least seven or eight minutes. And then I was like, um, are we going to be helped or what is it? And they're like, oh, yes, I'm sorry. And so we, you know, we, they took our order. And then an older man came in with a walker and they knew each other. And there was a lady there. And he's like, oh, Jane, y'all are just letting anybody up in here these days, huh? 
And oh my I, goodness. Yes. And I turned around and we were the only ones in there. And she was like, yeah, you know. And I, I instantly froze and my heart started beating so fast. And I, I just wanted to get out of there. I'm livid. They're, con- like they're conversing amongst themselves and being very open about us being there and us not being white people there. We're just letting anybody in here these days, right? And um, I was shaking. I was shaking. I couldn't even get a drink. I went straight to the car and I was horrified. So now you get to the car and obviously this has happened. You're crying. Yes. I'm, How was I'm Darnell? Horrified. And you know, Darnell is so calm. I'm a mess. He was just angry that he had just been sitting there and she was completely ignoring him. He's seen a lot of things that are just not okay. You know, so for him, walking into a Burger King and not getting service, of course he's mad, but he has seen way worse. So and worse. so for you this was kind of one of the most blatant experiences that you had as an adult. But for him, he'd been experiencing this for a long time. There's just a sense sometimes that we would be unstoppable if people of color and our white allies stood up, but yet there's this, this, this internal divide. I think that it, it is ingrained in us that you don't want to be black, my grandparents, even them, you know, being treated certain ways by their siblings because they're darker. The darker your skin is, the worse off you are. We are part of the Black family. It goes back to centuries before us. We, I feel like, started off, you had one great article talking about colorism within Mexico. The article was, Study Reveals Racial Inequality in Mexico, Disproving Its Race-Blind Rhetoric by Daniel Zizumbo Colunga and Ivan Flores Martinez. Then there's this other piece, right, that talks through this huge Afro-Latino culture within Mexico, written by Nicole Acevedo. Uh, and it was entitled, Latinos Must Confront Ingrained Anti-Black Racism Amid George Floyd Protests. What this article says and what I love and what spoke wonders is What Latinos need to realize is that our oppression is bound up and intertwined with the oppression of the Black community. And it says, until they are liberated, until they are free from injustices and oppression, we will never be liberated, which is true. It's a part of this just perverse nature of racism that to some extent it works to turn us away from each other And that's how it thrives. Can you imagine if brown and black people were 100% committed to the issues that we both face 
in our society. And then as we're researching all of this and we're saying, okay, but where does this come from? We have this third article, which is an interview, a Q&A with Professor Henry Luis Gates. And this, all three articles were so incredible, but I feel like it just astounded me because there were pieces of this article that I just honestly had no clue about the history. You go first. What resonated with you about any of the three articles that we discussed? To be quite honest, this was stuff that was kept secret. How he was saying, you know, how the black in Latin America was covered. They tried to cover it to divide the blacks, to make the skin lighter. For me, I felt like a sense of relief because it's like, wow, I did my ancestry DNA. And I seen the percentages of of African that I had in me. One of the most striking facts in this Q&A was there were 11.2 million Africans that we can count who survived the Middle Passage and then landed in the New World. And of that 11.2 million, only 450,000 actually came to the United States. And then all of the rest went south of Miami, basically. And Brazil got 5 million Africans. So when you think about where so many African people landed, it's Brazil. And Brazil is actually considered the second blackest nation. Yes. Second only to to Nigeria. Nigeria. And so... Then to read in this article that all of these Africans were in Latin America, and then there was a conscious policy after 1850 to whiten Brazil, which had become a black country. So what they basically did was then actually have immigration from Europe to consciously whiten the population. That traveled all the way to Mexico and that there was so much mixing between European, between the indigenous culture and between black slaves that basically there's kind of an inside joke I think I read in this article that every Mexican has a black grandma. You can see the actual purposeful nature here to actually create colorism and to create this space where being dark was bad. This is something that happened all across the new world. And in fact, Latin America had more Africans enslaved in that area than even what we know today as the United States. So, and, and I think in the other article we read, that there's this huge population of Afro-Latinos in Mexico. One of the sad things is that no one talks about that population of people. It has a, a way of affecting their, their education, their livelihood, what they can do and what they cannot do. Yeah, and, and this day and age, they still have to deal with that. Because one of the things that we read in the research study was that 
colorism, the darker Mexicans in Mexico are shown to have less education, less job opportunity, less wealth as a result of being darker skinned. This is not just something that extends to the Black community. Really, um, in every culture, Latino or Black, uh, that is something that impacts people within our community. To know the roots behind it all is what is just like, whoa, it was just astounding to see all this. It's only the beginning. Why is this not something that we're educated on? You know, even just within our culture, why is this something that we do not talk about? I cannot wait to continue to <laughs> learn and share with my family and share with, you know, outside of my house to share with my aunts and my uncles and my, you know, everybody. I, I'm Welcome excited. Welcome to Black <laughs> Study Hall, everyone. <laughs> we are learning new things every day. real experience being married to a black man and and having biracial black children tell me about your experience with Alana so with my experience um having my daughter at 18 not until she went to a school with predominantly hispanics um did i notice you know the prejudice in my culture against Black people. Alana attended this dual emerging program where she would learn Spanish, where she would become fluent by fifth grade. And I put her in that school really excited that she's yeah. going to be mixed and be fluent in Spanish. When me, I am, I am Mexican and Filipino and I don't speak Spanish. Going into, um, I would say third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, um, and then into the junior high at that school, we dealt with a lot of, at first it was bullying. I mean, ran ridiculous things. She would get teased for her hair. She had really curly hair and it takes hours to detangle and to do her hair. So for her to be consistently teased for just having you know, puffy hair or curly hair. It was very different than all the other girls. It got so bad. There was another black kid there who she's really close with. They now, you know, now that their adults call each other cousins, but for the cafeteria lady to call my daughter, this little boy's name, another black kid was, it's, it scarred her. It just made her think, what are you saying? Because I'm black and he's black, we're the same. And it broke her down. She was so insecure. She felt horrible. She couldn't wear her Jordans to school that I remember buying and she just didn't want to because everybody teased her like, oh, you're black, you got to wear Jordans. They would tell her, that's not your mom, you're black. You know, just things like that, calling her the N-word. Things of that you should not have to go through. That is such a horrific experience. This is the struggle. We absolutely need to have the conversation in terms of white people understanding privilege. And we also have to have the conversation about white people talking with their kids. 
but we all need to talk with our kids. I remember doing a study in, in college where we were testing implicit bias. And one of the things that I think is so heartbreaking is that it is not just white people that are impacted with implicit bias that is negative towards blacks. It is not people of color and Mexican people and Latino people that are only impacted with implicit bias and negative stereotypes around black people. It is black people that are impacted and also have negative implicit bias towards ourselves. Whether you're white and you understand, whether you're Asian, whether you're Middle Eastern, whether you're you know, Mexican, whether you're Cuban, whether you're Puerto Rican, we cannot take away the fact that the Black people have been mistreated and we need to stand for them, that Black lives do matter. These uncomfortable talks with our families and with our friends and our close and our loved ones that aren't really affected, it doesn't really resonate with them because they don't have Black children or they are not Black or they don't have Black spouses. You know, these jokes that we make when they're roasting each other, when, you know, the racist jokes, that was a really big thing that for us, we had to stop. For us, we had to have these talks and say, hey, this is, this is not okay. Of having, you know, the Black jokes and having the Mexican jokes and having the Filipino jokes, that is a common thing. And for us to finally say, hey, this is where we draw the line. Well, I think what we've learned from so much of what we read for this particular study hall is how deep-rooted this is. And it is going to take so much work to unroot the implicit biases that have been ingrained in us. And so what that means is that while you might think a joke is innocent, if it in any way perpetuates this implicit bias that black is bad and dark is bad, then it just makes the work harder. And part of that is even the things that we think are innocent that are truly more damaging than we intend. My son was seven or eight years old and he loves Nerf guns. And for him to go over to his cousin's house and go play Nerf guns where they are Mexican and white and they look very white, and they were just going to play Nerf guns. Before he walked out our house, before we drove him over there, we had to tell him, son, you can play with your cousins. You guys can shoot in the backyard. You guys can play your Nerf gun wars. But the moment that they climb on that wall, the moment that they go in the front yard, you cannot do that. <laughs> and having to tell him that because you're Black, and for us to sit that, you know, send him down and have to tell him that when your cousins can get on the wall because they're blonde hair, blue eyes, but you can't. It's horrifying mm -hmm. and it's not fair. 
It's not fair. And as we can see, it's not as simple as black and white. One of the most sophisticated and devastating effects of colonizing is that it works to erase our ancestry and to convince us that we're not fighting for the same cause. Our current immigration policies, largely seen as a Latino issue, seem curiously similar to what we discussed today regarding early Latin America and the deliberate strategy to make the demographic white again. We learn that colorism has had some of the same negative effects in Latin America, including an education, income, and wealth gap that we see today in the States. It seems very clear that a part of Latino history, a part of being brown, must include a conversation of Black history and the Black experience that comes along for the ride. To my Latino friends, how do you talk to your family about racism? How do you connect with your own Black experience? And if you haven't started yet, where will you start?